Welcome to this episode of Women to Women podcast series. Our guest today is Dawn Mansky. She's the founder of Made for Freedom Fights Human Trafficking with Style. Dawn started the social enterprise Made for Freedom with an idea revolving around her favorite international clothing. The company has grown into a lifestyle brand carrying clothing, bath and body, jewelry, home goods and more with retail spaces across the country. Dawn's passion, stories and insight into the fashion industry and supply chains will not only inspire your view of how you can make a difference but it will also be expanded. Hi Dawn, welcome to Women to Women podcast. We're so excited to have you with us today. Oh, thank you for having me. So you have this really cool, awesome company and I just wanted to find out how you started Made for Freedom. I did not take the typical journey to starting a business. I will just say that. Never dreamed of being a business owner. In fact, didn't want really much of anything to do with business because I had seen how business can manipulate and exploit people instead of empowering them. And I pursued a, I pursued a career in education. I have a couple degrees in education, one in theology. Notice the lack of business there. Made for Freedom was the result of understanding and seeing with my own eyes vulnerabilities that people experience, some of the major vulnerabilities that make people vulnerable to exploitation. I lived in China for 10 years as a single female. And while I was there, I saw devaluation of the girl child. You know, when I went to visit orphanages and they were full of little girls, we still have progress to make in the West as women but nothing compared to a culture or a society that doesn't value women at all and just abandons little girls. Something that I understood much better. And then I was meeting children who, because of the poverty experienced in their families, had been taken advantage of and had been brought to the big cities and basically used as slave labor because extreme poverty. I started learning about these vulnerabilities while I lived in China. And it was after that, it kind of just blew up in my mind. Human trafficking is a much larger problem because I was at an informational meeting And I saw the video that was taped by an undercover reporter. He went into the back streets of Cambodia asking for the youngest girls he could find. And this man took him down a back alley and took him to a room and they ushered in probably seven to 10 girls. I don't know, there are quite a few. And you see this, this video, you see these young girls being brought in and they ranged from maybe seven years old to 13. And I just remember seeing this and thinking, how is it that we live in a world where one, people want this? How is it that there are little girls that are growing up? Like this is what they are growing up in the middle of. And, and how is it that we have adults that are forcing little girls to grow up? You know, like I just could not wrap my brain around any of it, but I so desperately, I wanted to know something that I could do. So I kind of got this understanding of what sex trafficking in our world looks like today and started to better understand human trafficking and this huge umbrella that covers child brides, covers sex trafficking, covers labor trafficking, all of these organ trafficking. But I didn't know how to help. I didn't know what I could do. Fast forward a few years, and this is... um, it's a strange combination of things. So I have this thing weighing on me and I'm like, what can I do? But if you fast forward a few years and then there's this kind of a major pivotal turning point in my life and I got married, met this really amazing man. So I married him. That's the other story. But (laughs) 
For the wedding, I received two wedding gifts that were really significant in the telling of the story. One was a pair of sandals from my husband. I had seen these sandals and they had this incredible story of the sandals were made by women coming out of very difficult situations. And so they were being provided with jobs that helped them move forward in their education and their future and provided opportunities they wouldn't have had otherwise. But it was also this business. So it was kind of this running a business, helping people. And it was this combination of what we would typically think business and nonprofit, like for-profit and nonprofit. But it was like this merging of two worlds. And I was like, now that social enterprise, I could support that because that's a business that's empowering people. So that was the concept that came with this one wedding gift. And another wedding gift was several pairs of these really crazy pants. I asked a friend of mine coming to the wedding from Thailand if she would bring me these pants. I had one pair and I loved them. And I couldn't find them in the United States. So I was, could you please bring me some of these pants? So she brought me like four or five pairs of these fisherman pants from Thailand. I was over the top excited. You know, I was like, I love these pants. So the next day I'm going on my honeymoon, right? And of course I'm wearing my new pants and my sandals because they're my new things. And I'm super excited. And that was fine. You know, like, it's okay if I'm excited about these things, but that was the beginning of these crazy encounters with other people, specifically women comment, not, not only women, men and women commenting on my pants. So we're going through the TSA line and a TSA agent says, Oh my gosh, I really like your pants. Where'd you get them? I'm thinking, uh, Thailand. And then we get on the plane and the flight attendant said, oh, those are so cool. They look really comfortable. Where can I get some pants like that? And I'm thinking, Thailand. Within the next three or four months, I had women all over the place just going, oh, I like your pants. Where'd you get those? Oh, where'd you get those pants? Everyone's asking me about these crazy pants. And a woman literally chased me through a parking lot to ask me about the pants. <laughs> I was like, there's something going on here. Like this is, this is crazy. And I thought, oh, I could start a company just selling these pants. I could import them from Thailand and sell the pants. But then I thought about it. It was like, this is not how I want to spend my life. I don't want to just import product and sell it. I want something more significant that I'm going to do with my life. But then I was like, wait a second. And I remembered this social enterprise. I remembered the ladies who made these sandals and how it provided opportunities they wouldn't have had otherwise. And I thought, what if these pants, these crazy pants that people keep coming and asking me about, what if they could be the foundation of a social enterprise, a business that is actually helping people coming out of this horrible atrocity that is weighing on me? And I was like, now that is a business model I could get excited about. So the beginning of Made for Freedom was all around these crazy pants. We took the fisherman pants, we redesigned them because the pattern is not, well, let's just say it's not incredibly flattering. So I was like, you know, if we're going to try to sell these pants to Western women, we need to make them a little more flattering. So we changed the pattern. And I thought if we're changing the pattern, we really should change the name because they're no longer like the traditional fisherman pants, but I really want to name that's going to represent what we're doing and what we're about. So we came up with this name, Korea Belly which is taken from creating a beautiful life. So they became Korea Belly Pants. Our altered design became Korea Belly Pants. And we started selling those. 
And I went on a research trip so that I could better understand what are the things that make people vulnerable to exploitation? What does exploitation really look like? And what are the things that are needed to help people escape? I was just getting a much better idea of all of the pieces that are involved. But while I was on these research trips, I met numerous people and I met all sorts of organizational leaders that were running centers providing jobs for those who were incredibly vulnerable and those who had survived exploitation. And they were making these beautiful things. So we started with the pants. It makes some people very sad because people hear about the pants are like, oh, I want to get some pants. And if you go to madeforfreedom.com and you start looking for pants, you won't find any. But I will explain why. Because after the first center we partnered with, they were providing jobs for marginalized and survivors. They did a beautiful job on our pants and they made purses for us and they they made several things and they we did several orders of pants. And then I got an email from the director and she said, our ladies are getting wonderful opportunities to further their education and start careers. And I thought, oh my gosh, that's wonderful. That is what we're trying to be part of. And then she continued in the email and said, and we are no longer sewing. I was like, oh, we are already in communication. We're already talking to another group that can make the next batch of Korea belly pants. We'll probably do a Korea belly collection, but right now we don't have any. So don't be heartbroken if you go to madeforfreedom.com and you're looking for the pants, they're coming. I started meeting all these other groups and now Made for Freedom carries products made by those who are vulnerable, those who have survived exploitation from about 15 different centers around the world. Women coming out of red light districts in Southern Asia to uh, refugees and immigrants in the United States to survivors of sex trafficking in Cambodia, women coming out of brothel districts in Northern Asia, marginalized artisans in India, women coming out of domestic violence situations in the United States. And what Made for Freedom does is we come alongside these groups. If we can get their products to a larger audience, and if we can help them make sales, if we're selling product, we're helping these centers create more jobs, which removes vulnerability from people in marginalized situations. It removes vulnerability from those who have survived, but also helps with reintegration, financial independence, and therapy, all sorts of things. It's amazing what you have done. You know, you've taken a problem, you've taken something that was very commercial and combined the two into such a noble cause with such great impact on lives. As you said, who otherwise would not have these opportunities? So that's amazing. Kudos to you and your team. So great job done. Thank you. One, one question I do have, you know, you said you have all these centers across different countries. It wouldn't have been easy building this network of centers that could support. You said some was during your research, but clearly you've expanded way beyond the countries you researched in. So how did that happen? Good question. It's an assortment of ways. You know, some of them, I have seen brands that have products made by survivors and I'll reach out to the brand and I'll say, who are you working with? And within that realm of businesses providing dignified employment for survivors of trafficking, 
Like that's a very specific niche. We kind of call ourselves freedom businesses and it's doing what we can to provide freedom for these survivors. Not a huge network. I was doing one of my trips. I had a layover in Kunming, China. I didn't have any appointments in China. I was flying from Vietnam to Nepal, I believe. And my layover was in Kunming. Well, while I was on my trip, I had someone from Beijing, China, send me an email. And she said, I have heard about Made for Freedom. We have centers providing jobs for survivors in Northern China. We would love if you would consider using us as a supplier. The message that you are sharing with Made for Freedom is exactly what we're looking for with our products. Would you consider carrying our products? And I said, you know what? I'm on this crazy international trip. And I would love to talk about that. But while we're on the topic, do you know anyone in Kunming that is also in the same realm? That's a freedom business providing jobs for survivors. And she said, yes, absolutely. Here's a group that you should connect with. So during a 12 hour layover, I landed, somehow got to my hotel, slept quickly. And the next morning had an appointment and I went to the center. I met with them, did a tour of the facility and somehow made it back to the airport in time to get on my flight to Nepal. They have been a partner since then. You know, so sometimes it's people, it's groups reaching out to us. Sometimes I'm reaching out to them. We were featured in Forbes a few years ago and I was so excited. I was like, oh my gosh, Forbes, everybody's going to see us. And you know, what I did not expect was leaders of different organizations similar to these reaching out and saying, we saw your story in Forbes. Would you consider selling our products as well? Like these groups, they're doing the heavy lifting not us. They are the ones reaching out. They're sending outreach teams into the red light districts. They're the ones building the relationships. They're the ones dealing with the trauma and providing the therapy and counseling and the legal services, life skills, and the jobs. Okay. That's what they're doing. And Made for Freedom, I won't say it's easy, but compared to everything that they're doing, we're just saying, okay, let us help you get to a larger market. Let us help you sell these amazing products so you can continue creating jobs. You may think it's easy. That's still an important step. So you travel quite a bit. You earlier said, you know, you lived in China for 10 years. So what motivated you coming out of college to decide, well, I'm going to go to China and live there. Coming out of straight out of college, we don't think about living in a foreign country where you don't know the language. How has that mobility in your life changed your perspective? I was single. So, you know, a lot of people assume that I went with my husband. I'm like, nope, no husband. It was me. But I did go with an organization. While I was in college, I remember very clearly seeing on the news uh, demonstrations and thousands of Chinese students demonstrating, protesting for their freedom. I remember praying for them. I just really felt like God was saying, you know what? You need to go there. Within a few days was the Tiananmen Square massacre. Thousands of these college students, which I think that was one thing that resonated as well was we're college students. There have to be a lot of similarities. Obviously there are differences because they're Chinese and I'm an American, but so many similarities and they, they so desperately were looking for freedom. And I really felt like I need to go to China. I had one more year of college. So I immediately started looking at my college catalog to see if I could learn to speak Chinese. So I took Chinese lessons. And then the next summer or that summer I went to, I did a short-term trip to do Chinese lessons. And I thought I was 
was going after college for one year. It turned into 10. And then years later, he dropped a business plan in my lap. And so I was like, okay, well, let's do this now. <laughs> so. so you also um, talk about uh, the five components of exploitation and how to watch out for them. Can you briefly talk about it for our listeners? The first one is vulnerabilities. That is a situation. Extreme poverty, devaluation of the girl child, you know, lack of support from friends and family. There are a lot of different things that make people vulnerable, but when you stack those vulnerabilities and there's just more and more and more vulnerability, they are so easily exploited. The second part of that is procurers and perpetrators. And these are people who are experts at identifying the vulnerabilities that people are experiencing. So they're experts at hanging out in places where people may be, may be vulnerable. So for example, a bus station or a train station, you know, how many teenagers think, oh, I've had it. I'm running away. They hop on a bus or a train. They end up in a city where they don't know where to go. They don't know what to do. Somebody who is looking to take advantage of the vulnerable. It's very easy to see a teenager that's confused, unaware of their surroundings and unfamiliar. And they can come alongside and they can say, oh, let me help you. One of the things that people don't understand, like that third point is exploitation. And the things that identify this is a lot of us think, oh, it's like the movie Taken, you know, and it's this very physical, like, oh, they grab them and they take them. And that may happen. That may be part of it. But the things that you look for are force, fraud, or coercion. It may not have much to do with force at all, but it might be, I know where your family is. And if you don't do what I tell you to do, I'm going to kill all of your family or the fraud. Oh, I've got a really good job for you. And you're going to be rich and famous if you come over here and do this. And so looking at those different things, then there's rescue and restore. And that's kind of what we think of as the typical safe house where after rescue, after leaving that life, there's a space where people can get an education where they're provided with therapy and life skills, and they just begin that healing process. But then the fifth component is return and reintegrate. And that is a big part of dignified employment, like providing a good job so that they can support themselves. So when people ask, what does Made for Freedom do? I kind of say, okay, well, we help the people in this last phase, rest, return and reintegrate. So we provide dignified employment there, but we also help at this very first space, the vulnerabilities to prevent exploitation. Were there certain people that really shaped who you are? I'd say there were many. Mother Teresa and her work with the poor and the marginalized kind of blows my mind. I started reading the Bible and following Jesus when I was young, and that has been huge in my life, just being faithful and following wholeheartedly after him. There's so many people who have kind of paved the way. You also foster kids. That's another incredible experience. How did that start? And how do you think all of your other work has really helped you be a better parent in that sense? Well, how did it start? I didn't get married until I was 42. So old in many respects. It was like, oh, we're old, which I'm fine saying that. It doesn't bother me. But we didn't have kids of our own. Having our own kids was, you know, I was like, ah, we're probably past that. As I was developing and building Made for Freedom, as I started learning about vulnerabilities, so many of these things go back to vulnerabilities, but another major vulnerability for those that end up in exploitation is lack of support from friends and family. And if you think about kids in the foster system, that's they're in the foster system because they don't have a family to support them. 
they have already been through some really difficult times and they have no family to support them. And sometimes it's their, their own families that are abusing and neglecting, sometimes exploiting them. Learning about the major vulnerabilities of kids in the foster system and with combined with like the age that we were and the availability, my husband and I thought, you know what, one of the most difficult groups to get foster parents for would be teenagers. And I don't remember if it's exactly like high 80 percentile or low 90s, but somewhere in that range, kids that age out at 18 end up either living on the streets, homeless, in prison, or being prostituted out. And that just hit me because of what we do with Made for Freedom. When you look at that people group in the United States, that's a huge chunk of the very vulnerable. So we decided, well, we don't have our own kids. Teenagers seem to be one of the neediest groups in there. They're most at risk for exploitation because they're about to age out. So we started fostering. How has it made me a better parent? I've studied a lot about trauma. When I'm in my made for freedom mode and I'm in my educational mode of learning about trauma so that I can make presentations about exploitation and how dignified employment provides assistance and provides hope. And I'm digging into trauma, the things that I have seen in the children we've had in our home, I can't help but recognize those signs and those, those risk factors that come with trauma and how they've impacted these kids. And it just, it makes it much more real because I haven't experienced significant trauma. I very much care for these kids who have been through things that no kid should ever go through. And I see what trauma has done and how it impacts them the rest of their life. Has it made me a better parent? Maybe more understanding of how trauma really impacts a person's life. Just having that awareness and understanding definitely goes a long way. So in terms of what you read, we, we <laughs> found that we had something in common. So let's talk about that. So when did you start reading this and why do you keep reading Economist? Let's go there. <laughs> It goes, it goes way back. I mentioned the Tiananmen Square massacre and that happened in 89. I was in college. I just, I wanted to know more. What I found was that there were not a lot of news sources that covered that well or consistently. 1989 was another huge year as far as Europe. That's when the Berlin Wall was falling. So there were some significant shifts in our world. And somehow, I don't even know where I saw my first Economist magazine, but somehow I got a hold of one and I noticed the section at the beginning. I'm like, they're covering information about the entire world. It's not just my city or my state or my country. They're talking about stuff all over the world. So yes, I'm an avid economist person. I wish that I read it more. I do. We still subscribe to it. And I, every time I pick up an economist and it all goes back to like the five key components of exploitation, you know, we're huge stories about the refugees leaving Ukraine. I'm always seeing something. I'm like, ah, oh, there's a good example of return and reintegrate and providing good jobs. And I still love it. It covers things around the globe so well. I love it too. So I can absolutely say where you're coming from on that. There are so many things I don't know, but if I can at least kind of keep track of the bigger things going on, I feel like I just am a little more aware of what's going on in our world. And, and I value that. So for our listeners, what would you suggest things that they should develop in themselves, like traits or, you know, soft skills 
to really succeed, get what they want. If they firmly believe in an idea or they have a firm belief. If you really know that this is something that you want to go for, just be prepared for a long, bumpy road. I would say one of my strongest traits at this point in Made for Freedom is perseverance. Well, and my passion, you know, I'm incredibly passionate, but if you don't persevere, then it's not going to go anywhere. And if you persevere, but you're not passionate, then you're just going to burn out. I'd say the combination of those two, it's not because I'm excellent with my numbers or phenomenal in sales or leadership. It's, it's this growth and it's this constant developing it's perseverance because there are days that I wake up and I'm like, what am I doing? And there are days that I wake up and I'm like, oh, I'm so excited that I get to do this. So any final closing comments for our listeners? Knowledge without the action just makes people frustrated. The more you learn about this, I think the more you'll want to do something. When people say, what can I do? I start with learn more. And we have, I've put together a PDF that is just red flags and risk factors and action items. And so, for example, if you're out in a shopping center, would you be aware? Would you know the red flags? If someone was being trafficked right next to you, would you know what to look for? When you meet people, are you aware of the risk factors, the things that make them vulnerable? And can, how can you step in? So continuing to learn, like just continuing to learn about this. The second would be, be careful, be aware, and try to be thoughtful in your purchases. It would be unrealistic for me to say, only buy things from Made for Freedom. You know, like that's just, that's just not realistic. I love it if you come and check out Made for Freedom products and go, oh, wow, I understand the impact these are making. But think about the Made for Freedom model when you're making your purchases. There are a lot of companies that say, oh, we're doing this. We're, we're giving back. This is a very common phrase now, give back. How, mu how much do you give back? People ask me that all the time because they're accustomed to this business model where company is selling something and they say, we're giving money to this cause. But what they don't talk about is where was that thing made? For example, I bought a scarf one time. It was, the magazine was all about, we are funding research to end breast cancer. Do I want to be a part of ending breast cancer? Absolutely. So I bought the scarf. I like pink. I like scarves. Paid more for it than I normally would. And then later I saw in the little bitty fine print, 0.05% goes to research. I was like, are you kidding me? And then as I was learning about the fashion industry while I was building Made for Freedom, there was a collapse of a, a sweatshop in Bangladesh where thousands of people died. And I was like, wait a second. So the scarf, you didn't tell me who made the scarf. Was the scarf that you keep talking about how much good it's doing because you're giving money, which is a pittance, like 0.05%, give me a break. But you're not telling me where the scarf was made. Was the scarf made at a sweatshop in Bangladesh paying poverty wages, leading to generational poverty, which is a major vulnerability leading to exploitation. As we're purchasing, sorry, that's a big story. Just for point number two, think about what you're purchasing. Think about where you spend your money. Try to spend your money on dignified employment. Try to spend your money on supply chains that are providing dignity and empowering rather than exploiting. And the third, the third part that I just I have met so many people that say, oh my goodness, 
wow, this is very cool what Made for Freedom is doing. How can I do more? Like, yes, I want to buy a necklace and I'm really happy with my purse, but I want to do more. And we have put together a program. It's called DEEP. And that's an acronym for Dignified Employment Empowers and Protects. People really want to know more, but they also want to do something. And Made for Freedom makes it very easy to do something. Because with every piece that is purchased, dignified employment has been provided. Don, thank you so much. It was such an honor speaking with you. And I'm so glad we made the connection. And thank you so much. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. It's been a joy.